You're listening to the Quince podcast. Welcome to season 2 of the Quince Fortnightly podcast Land of a Billion. We aim to bring you expert conversations about the most contentious of the holy roti kapda makan trinity that is the makan over our heads and the larger ecosystem that governs it. This podcast is produced in association with the Property Rights Research Consortium supported by Omidya Network India. I'm Bhargavi, a researcher interested in land and access to finance and your host for this season. Winding back to the first few months of the COVID pandemic, you may recall how slums had become a focal point of conversations, especially in the media. As COVID cases were on the rise in cities, there was a growing concern about how slums could become a tinderbox of infections in this pandemic. Anyone could imagine how orders like social distancing, frequent hand washing and stay at home meant little to slum dwellers with poor access to a regular supply of basic amenities like water and electricity and the reality of living in cramped quarters while working a daily wage job. The pandemic also brought to fore an important question which has been lying open for years, which is what is the state's obligations to bring slums and informal settlements within the mainstream infrastructure and urban planning of a city? This question actually has been partly answered by Odisha. In 2017, Odisha passed the Odisha Land Rights to Slum Dwellers Act, which provided working titles to slum dwellers and brought slums within the main planning fabric of the city. It also provided for allocation of funds for slum upgradation, uh, construction of toilets, uh, paved street lights and access to stormwater drains in notified slums. Under the Jaga Mission, which was enacted under this law, 200,000 working titles have been conferred across 2000 slums in more than 100 small to medium towns in Odisha. The law is one thing, but the implementation and the capacity required to roll out this law is quite another. How did the government of Odisha go about conferring these titles? What are some of the trade-offs that the government had to make? What is the political economy of all of this? To answer these questions, we have with us Mr. Mathi Vatanan, who's the principal secretary, Department of Housing and Urban Development in the government of Odisha. He led the Jaga Mission Initiative among many other urban development initiatives in Odisha. We also have with us Mr. Shubhagato Das Gupta, who's a senior fellow at the Center for Policy Research and the director of the Scaling City Institutions for India in its Sanitation Initiative. Welcome Mr. Vatanan and Shubhagato to the Land of a Billion podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mr. Vatanan, why don't we begin with understanding a little bit about the context of the Jaga mission? I mean, how did it start? Uh, what motivated the bureaucracy and the political masters to undertake this seemingly Herculean task? What was the need for it and how far have we come? If I have to share the genesis of the intervention, we call that as the two major interventions. One is the Odisha Land Rights to Slum Dwellers Act 2017. followed by the uh, launching of jaga mission see if you travel in a city even within 5 minutes you can't avoid seeing a slum unless you go on you know meditative mode sitting in the car you have to see any city slum is an universal issue not only in our cities in every country we can't leave that problem to the city managers city commissioners or the mayor and at the same time we can't say that it is there in every city in every country so it's a global problem so the world leaders will solve it you can't leave it to them also 
so hi presiding over the urban governance in the state of odisha whenever i look at a slum it pains me it it tells me that you know i am not doing my job so the city administration or the urban development role is to ensure there is an inclusive development so where is the inclusivity if you see the slum see the conditions of the the plight of this the city slum dwellers so they have come into the city to build the city they have not come in search of employment you offered the employment so you wanted to build the road you wanted to build the large projects bridges uh, you know big malls buildings housing complex you wanted laborers and that labor market attracted the people from the surrounding villages and the rural areas so they came in if there is no employment opportunity if they if you don't need them they would not have come here so having come here has the city done uh, you know provided accommodation where will they go what will they do they you want them to work for you they build the roads they build the buildings they do every work in your home in the city without slum dwellers the city will come to a standstill halt so they make the city they run the city but what the city in turn pays back a meager wages we don't provide them the space the land housing is the do we have enough rental housing is that affordable as the city built it your construction workers welfare act mandates under section 35 that every large project whether government or private should provide housing facility within the project area government is the biggest employer government invest the maximum so does the government provide accommodation within the project area for the workers which they employ you may be saying that i am not directly employing i am leaving it to the contractor but the contractor engages them and the, those people are working for you in your project they only sit your projects so we fail in your duty the city fail the government's fail it's a collective failure of the government city government state government central government that has resulted in the formation of the slums so we need to address it as the secretary in charge of the urban development i can't close my eyes and go that it is not my problem then whose problem is that so some day someone has to address it so that moment came to odisha on if i if i remember correctly it was 22nd july that moment came when the secretary to chief minister called me over the intercom asking me to come for a discussion and when i went and met mr pandian who is the secretary to honorable chief minister he said we have been discussing about the slum land rights can we do that i said this is the moment i have been waiting for we must do it that's all that's the beginning of odisha land rights to slum dwellers act that's the beginning of jaga mission that's the beginning of the transformation of slums in odisha that's a fantastic story sir so i absolutely agree with you actually you know the graphic images of thousands of people walking from cities to their homes in the middle of the pandemic actually reinforces the concerns that you have just mentioned which is that we need to tackle the question and the problem of informal housing in cities on an urgent basis as if it had to be done yesterday and unless we actually take a systematic as opposed to an ad hoc approach to this question maybe we will not be able to scale it up and maybe we won't have answers for a very very long time so thank you for that context setting but i suspect every city administration faces this choice right i mean uh, there are slums in most cities in india some to a larger extent than others most people want to live close to where they work land is scarce and every city administration has to make a choice 
either they treat slum dwellers as you know some sort of encroachers on public property and continue to threaten them with demolitions and eviction notices disconnect supply of essential amenities or they recognize that slums are actually a feature of scarce housing in cities for people who need it and they give it a certain degree of formality and include it within the main infrastructure of the city and the popular notion is that when city administrations choose to do the latter they actually incentivize illegal and informal settlements and encroachments on public property and i wonder how do you deal with this popular perception of incentivizing the wrong things as a lot of people would see it versus recognizing that a large part of the city's workforce actually resides in slums frankly you know this uh, misplaced incentive story around this is better articulated by people who have services have land and uh, fear in them as the government the government has multiple responsibilities ensuring private property and the protection of private property is surely a very important one uh, but beyond that there is a development uh, context to the government's actions and the state kind of reflects the multiple interests of various stakeholders right in our growth trajectory at the moment why orissa is so unique and uh, so so progressive with the jaga mission is that it balances this without breaking the contract on protection of private property it goes so much further to understand and unbundle a whole set of land regulations and laws which are colonial in nature have been handed down over generations which have created these enclaves for slum dwellers without access to services and improved housing and have kept them outside what the city is right so around dialogues of the right to the city the jaga mission in, in that sense is born out of the conception of the right to the city of who does the city belong to and it creates a level playing field for both the poor and the rich so it protects the rights of the rich but it surely does proactive action to ensure that uh, inequality is not maintained in the system going forward it's unique also because in this post liberalization phase that we are in commercialization of land has become very valuable and the interests are uh, aligned around making sure that the um, that uh, private property is project protected or even public property is protected in case of larger cities this is very visible is very strong so for orissa to take this step within this regime of uh, where the bias seems to have moved very strongly towards commercialization of land even if it does not provide equal services and land rights is very structurally uh, very strong and therefore uh, could impact the nation as a whole in terms of you know how does the state balance the various stakeholders that it needs to respond to as part of that we have also studied the cdp of the cities the master plans of the city done with the satellite maps and it's very interesting to note that the informal settlements which we call as slums they occupy not more than 2 to 4% of the land usable land available in a city 2 to 4% maximum it is 4% so the slum population which varies from 20% to 40% 
on an average odisha has 25% even if you take that 25% of the population occupies less than 4% of the land available in a city where is the question of you know incentivizing the encroacher or law breaker it's a rightful demand the need they deserve it they have an equitable right on the land land is a finite resource and how much we are giving we are only giving 30 square meter maximum and how much land is under encroachment by the greedy greedy people in the cities what are we doing about it when we provide 30 square meter of land when we if you raise the eyebrows why but what are we doing about the large scale encroachment happening commercial space encroachments they build your city they leave your city and unfortunately cities do not have that kind of public transport system which facilitates easy commutation for the kind of wages we pay to the slum dwellers can they afford a you know motorized vehicle do they have a car or a, a two wheeler like us to travel to far off area they have to live there it is not out of choice it is out of compulsion they have to live in their place or near the place of work because they have to uh, you know commute to that workplace that's the reason that they live in the congested slums somehow manage to live there so they, in my opinion they deserve it and it's the duty of the city to do that duty of the state to do it thank you that gives a lot of perspective to the argument that people often make about how uh, legalizing illegal slums and encroachments can actually be adverse to the city's larger interests and it's a fantastic answer and i'm sure that even to be able to do this it must have required a lot of state capacity right so for example it must have required a survey of the land identification of the people who will be conferred with title uh, even the slum upgradation exercise we know for a fact that surveys for example in a titling exercise are extremely hard to do but uh, before rolling out the jaga mission you must have done all that hard work and the, and i'm really curious what are the kind of challenges that the government of odisha faced in rolling out the jaga mission and if you were to advise another state government on a similar program what would you tell them to be careful about see for granting the land rights land is a very sensitive subject very precious asset so survey is required so we didn't have the experience and no other state also had experience so everything we had to experiment we were learning at the time of doing it and correcting ourselves and moving forward because there was no set path so when it came to survey the what we did is that we 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 tried with a conventional survey on pilot basis the chain survey using the revenue machinery i mean ri traditional method and we also adopted we also tried the drone survey unmanned aerial survey we tried in 2000 to ri circles and then within a month we realized that we have to adopt high end technology state of art technology the manual survey the, the typical conventional chain survey would have taken 33 years minimum for us to complete the survey process in the entire state in 114 cities we adopted the drone survey method and we brought in three players and took up this simultaneously in all urban local bodies in a period of 6 months we completed the entire aerial survey as well as the map preparation the technology has helped the use of the right tool is critical the speed is very important in such an exercise we used the drone technology gis based mapping also we also include we also you know roped in the grassroots level ngos community based ngos to work with the slum communities to organize them into slum dwellers association 
involved in the slum dweller community in the survey process. And we also took up the house-to-house -house survey through the local NGOs for enumerating the households, preparing the documents, supporting documents, and to prepare the land settlement proposal. The NGOs facilitated that and the Slum Dwellers Association driven that. It was a completely community-centric process using technology. So that has resulted in a faster pace of implementation. That has resulted in a zero dispute and zero litigation process. So far, we have done more than 1,75,000 land rights. More than 1,75,000. Not even a single case of litigation or dispute. Great. So I'm curious, what is the political economy of a slum legalization program like or a slum upgradation program like? Every uh, slum upgradation program, every slum legalization program creates winners and losers, right? So while direct beneficiaries of this are, of course, the slum dwellers, there are many people who may actually be adversely affected by it. So, for example, what about the association that collectively represents the rights of slum dwellers? I'm sure you had to deal with them. What about other residents of the city? What was their reaction to this program? Or say, for example, if you had to deal with slum lords or the builder lobby, what are the different stakeholders who need to be dealt with when actually rolling out this program on the ground? So there were lots of implementation issues. The first of all, we uh, you know faced issues from the slum dwellers themselves. There was initially there was a lack of trust from the slum dweller side on the government, on the city uh, officials. When we entered, they were not very you know encouraging. We were not welcomed there for the reason that so long, several times the city officials have been visiting the slum, trying to do the survey, trying to do some kind of schemes and all. All have failed. They, we could not you know, uh, meet their aspiration. They still, the slum, slum dwellers still live, with, live without security of tenure. They still have that fear of eviction. When they look at a government official, they suspect that we have gone there only to demolish their slum, to remove them, to evict them. So to create that trust between the slum community and the government was the first challenge we encountered. That's the reason we, you know, roped in the grassroots level NGOs, community-based organizations to work with the slum communities to organize them into slum donor association, to communicate with them why government is there, what is this act, why we are doing it. So it took some time for us to, you know, build that, you know, break the barrier and build the trust. Then once they are on our side, then the implementation has, you know, become faster. There are invisible forces in the slums. There are slum landlords. There's landlords on government land. Actually, the government is a landlord, but there are in-between middlemen. They are encroach their land and build the houses and then rent it out to the slum dwellers. So that was a challenge for us. So that's the reason that we took up the survey and enumerated the occupant going by the document. Any government issued document is taken as a proof of their stay, whether it is voter ID card or ration card or electricity connection, water supply connection, anything. If it is a government issued document, then it, it was relied upon. And the land right was given only to the person who is living in that piece of land, not the person who constructed the house and rented it out. So we completely ignored the, the slum land law. So they were trying to mobilize the slum communities against these, all those things. But the, we had the strength of the you know, local NGOs. We anticipated this and started working on it. We built the trust between the slum community and the government.
that's how we could break those barriers and succeed in our efforts great so what about the impact of this initiative uh, mr das gupta the scaling cities uh, institutions initiative that you are leading has been working with the odisha government in rolling out the jaga mission how would you describe the impact of the jaga mission the impact of the jaga mission is at various levels right so it means to each slum dweller it makes a whole lot of difference first by giving the land title but secondly backing it with all the services at standards that are available to the rest of the city and it means very close to each other right so means uh, let's say the land rights were given 2 years back and now uh, uh, they have water sanitation roads drains etc so at the household level at the individual level a whole set of benefit uh, benefits not benefits rights have been delivered to them at a very rapid pace and that uh, in one sense has shown the progressive nature of the government and thereby brought more and more slum dwellers on board and as uh, mr mathiwatnan was just saying uh, the opposition to it has been sidelined in that sense it is the major program in orissa at the moment and a lot of very interesting work around it is happening for example the urban wage employment program that was created after covid but now is called the mukta program where the slum dwellers were involved through a wage employment program uh, to build the own, their own city so no longer are they only viewed as service providers to the rich in the city but now they've literally built their own communities by participating in the construction of these roads and uh, drains etc and in the future as per government of orissa's plans they are also going to be involved in ward level infrastructure so at the slum level the community infrastructure building has helped decentralize and create a new relationship between the local body the urban local body and the slum dwellers association so from individual benefits it's come to the community benefits and then to the at, at the city level uh, the city is now all inclusive uh, they uh, they provide uh, services at the same standard across the city and in general the city is much more resilient because the pockets of this kind of you know let's say a disaster impact or or, or epidemic impacts are being mitigated in the medium term uh, then at the state level it provides a whole new opportunity for various sets of programs uh, to succeed uh, all kinds of urban programs uh, the probability of it succeeding is much higher because everyone is now within uh, within a, a system right at the state level and at the national level it kind of uh, let's say uh, creates a new model shows states that it's possible to do at this rapid pace earlier slum uh, upgrading programs for example took ages to do there were pilots done and then more pilots done but what government of orissa and mr mathiwatan have managed to do is put this in at a scale that's that's in the past never been seen and then at the global scale it speaks to the sustainable development goals to the uh, to the urban goal within it it takes you know the main underlying theme of the sustainable development goals this time is to leave no one behind and have inclusive and sustainable cities it speaks to the heart of the pro- problem at the go- global scale and creates this new model which can operate even within a market structure a neoliberal framework 
and can deliver goods. Uh, so it has these multiple benefits at various levels. Would you say that the Jaga mission actually made a difference to the way the pandemic management was done in the slums that were actually covered within the Jaga mission? So, for example, I think the most graphic images that gave many people sleepless nights during the pandemic were those of thousands of migrants walking from the cities back to their homes in thousands of miles away. And primarily because of tenure security and job loss and a complete uh, breakdown of trust in city administrations to take care of them, right? So uh, would you say that the Jaga mission actually made a difference? And did you see a different perception of people who were covered under the Jaga mission during COVID? Or is it too early to ask for that kind of impact? Yeah, during COVID, we have, in fact, we have experienced the, you know, the, the benefits of our interventions. So by the time we had already given the land rights, people have started investing their, you know, in their house, building their house. The Jaga mission interventions have already started by the time. Water supply, sanitation, individual household, toilet, car road, street lighting, those kind of infrastructure, amenities, services. So when the COVID spread happened, slum communities were already mobilized, organized. The slum dollar associations were in place. So they were regularly meeting. So basically, the COVID was managed through communities. It was COVID was more of, you know, the success of Odisha in COVID management was because of the decentralized management. In villages, it was managed by the sarpanches. The powers of the district collectors have been delegated to the sarpanches. They functioned as the district collectors when it came to the, you know, disaster management. So in the slum areas also, it was easy for the city administration to operate through the slum dwellers association. So the containment happened at that place, the isolation, containment and the testing. So the Slum Dollar Association acted as a bridge, as volunteers, as agents of the government to control and, you know, contain the spread of the disease. So in fact, we have actually reaped the benefits of, you know, organizing the slums, recognizing the slums during the COVID period. Mr. Das Gupta, do we have any data points that demonstrates that Slums covered under the Jaga mission actually ended up being more resilient during the pandemic than slums that were not covered. I mean, what does data tell us about the impact of the Jaga mission on COVID management in Odisha? So, I mean, in COVID management, one of the main issues was around uh, lockdowns and local lockdowns, right? In the lockdown period, the slum dwellers got wage employment in Jaga mission in their own communities. Yeah. Uh, so it protected both livelihoods, but it also created assets for themselves and the city as a whole, because these protocols were in place and these plans were in place. So it, it had a very positive impact on the communities itself during lockdowns. The in-migration into Orissa is something Mr. Mathiwatnan uh, can speak to. I'll just uh, add to the earlier point that Mr. Mathiwatnan uh, mentioned, but missed mentioning the new mantra that kind of Orissa has put forth is the fourth tier of governance. Yeah, Uh, This is a word that Mr. Mathiwatnan is using a lot. And it has this new meaning because the way urban uh, decentralization works, there is a third tier, the, the government, uh, the local government, and then there is a ward. So connecting the city to the slums has created this fourth tier, which has been very effective during 
pandemic, uh, the pandemic period because it allows uh, information communication. It allows people to mobilize around smaller neighborhoods uh, and all the co-benefits of it. So one of the rewards of the Jaga program, uh, program is also a deeper understanding of what fourth tier of governance uh, might look like in India in the future. Sure, truly a people's movement then. Since this podcast is called The Land of a Billion, I have to ask you both one question, which is that if there were one challenge that you would tackle, put your weight behind, put your energy, life, resources into to secure land rights for a billion plus population that is India, what would that challenge be? Inclusive development of city should be the focus of the governance. We need to give right priority for that. It could be in the form of land rights. It could be form of recognizing the slum slum communities. It could be uh, you know getting their rights, right to city for the slum dwellers, right to clean water, sanitation, livelihood opportunities, and that is the direction in which we are working. We are in fact not only empowering them, we are also raising them to govern themselves, to upgrade slum dweller association as a as the fourth tier of governance. So they should be governing. Yeah, they should be governing their area. They should be taking over the development process in their area. And they should become a kind of, you know, the extended arm of the municipal council. Luckily, working in Orissa, you don't have to spend your entire life <laughs> on doing uh, one reform because reforms happen there very frequently. What uh, the next stage uh, means, one, Orissa has already demonstrated how inclusive slum upgrading can work at scale in a very rapid pace. And other governments are showing interest. Punjab has taken up a very similar exercise too. But going forward in Orissa, the next examples are going to be around, I'm hoping, around include uh, making inclusive planning institutionally embedded across all the statutory uh, provisions around urban uh, development and planning. So the urban planning laws have to secure how uh, this data is managed, how land rights once given are incorporated within the planning system. And that is going to be another very structural reform because it will uh, help these cities build and look towards the future so that uh, this kind of inequality is not, not perpetuated in the future. Fantastic. Urban reforms. I mean, I love it, right? I mean, we just overwhelmingly focus uh, a lot of discussion on uh, rural reforms and agriculture, but very few people are able to talk and share their insight as eloquently as both of you did. So thank you very much for a fantastic episode. And uh, I hope the listeners uh, have also enjoyed this. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast, Land of a Billion, produced in association with the Property Rights Research Consortium. Don't forget to catch new episodes every alternate Friday where I will bring you a rundown on the latest charcha around land and housing in India. Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quince website and check out our other podcasts.